all of the big four studs we had here to yeah. start the year. Mauricio, Vientos, Alvarez, Beatty. Obviously, Francisco and Brett are up with the big club right now. They're all hard workers. They are all here early. They leave late. They've got they're got their heads in the right place. And they all get along. The first batting practice we had here in Syracuse a couple of days before the season, they put on an impressive display. They're hitting home runs all over the yard, but they get along. Like they're they're all friends. Mark is from Florida, so he's bilingual. You should have heard him and Ronnie at the cage the other day in Scranton giving each other grief when the wind was blowing in and Ronnie couldn't hit one out or Mark couldn't hit one out. Mark hit one to the right center field warning track in BP, couldn't hit it out, and Ronnie looks at him and goes, not today, Poppy, not today. So they're, they're all joking with each other the whole time. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mets Pod presented by Tri-State Cadillac. This spring be transformed during the Cadillac Move Up sales event. This is your moment to step out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary. Visit your Tri-State Cadillac dealer today. And here's your reminder to subscribe to the Mets Pod at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can watch on SMY's YouTube or wherever you get your shows. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo, and a special guest here today. Hello to the play-by-play broadcaster for the Syracuse Mets, Evan Stockton. Evan, I feel like this is a little cruel. We're having you on the show the same week that you lose Brett Beatty as he makes his uh, season debut with the Mets. But besides that, how are you, man? It's been an exciting season for Syracuse so far, I feel like. Oh, it's been amazing. One, thanks for having me, guys. Always appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, literally less than 12 hours ago, Brett Beatty had a huge single in a Mets win at Los Angeles, one of the teams that everyone think is going to win the NL this year. Yeah, so it's a little cruel. You're twisting the knife a little bit here, boys, but uh, we'll get over it and, and we'll be fine. Love, love to talk Beatty and all the great guys we got here in uh, Syracuse right now. Yeah, there's still a lot of talent down there, but we'll stick with Beatty for now because for Mets fans, right, that don't get to watch Syracuse every single week, we're watching the highlights on social media. We're reading the box scores. We're seeing that Beatty's hitting 400. We're seeing that he's hitting a home run, and it feels like at least half of the game. So what did you get to see from Beatty in this short span this year, not just with him breaking at the plate, but also the apparent improvements he made defensively at third base as well? Well, let's start with the second part of that question first. From everything we have heard, everything that was written, everything that was reported, the reason that Beatty started here with us in Syracuse had nothing to do with his bat. And look at the stats. He batted 400. His OPS was darn near 1,400. It was a little stupid what he was doing here in AAA. He had two different grand slams in one week. I don't know what more the man could have done offensively to earn himself a call up to Queens and out on the West Coast right now with the Mets. Defensively, yes, there were signs of improvement. We chuckled a little bit. It was well reported. Billy Epler was in attendance on Friday when we were on the road at the Yankees AAA team in Scranton. First inning, top of the first, second batter of the game, Brett made a throwing error, right? And Billy, that was the whole report. What Billy Epler said in spring training is he's got to hit organizational benchmarks and he's got to get X amount of games in AAA. That was the only error Brett made. Our first series of the year, opening weekend in Worcester, he makes a great diving catch. And then later on in the exact same game, he a line drive caught right at third by Brett, and he dies to third base in a double play scenario with the bases loaded to get the Syracuse Mets out of the inning. He made a bunch of great defensive plays. It was just a little ironic that the one routine play he didn't make also happened to be with Billy Epler in attendance. But he was really good. And last night in his debut with the Mets, obviously we can talk about that big RB single he had in the win, but he also made a really good defensive play, backing up behind the bag at third, fielding on the backhand, throwing a fastball across the diamond in time. So I think Brett's going to be just fine defensively. Trust me, I see all the tweets. In minor league baseball, we have a lot of different jobs. Sometimes my job is doing the tweeting. I see all the Mets fans' tweets. I love you. Give Brett a little bit of time, okay? Just give him a couple of weeks. Let him have a couple of struggles offensively. Let him make an error or two. Sky is not falling. Brett's going to be fine. He has to play every single day, and he proved here in the couple weeks that we got him in AAA. There were times we looked around and went, how in the world do we get to watch this guy every single day? He should not be here. He should be in New York right now. And that's what he did. He literally knocked the door down. Credit to him. Kudos. It was fun to watch. Yeah, that's been a topic on this show for – over a month that he 
he should have opened with the big league team. But like you said, Billy Epler talk about the benchmarks, and I'm sure Eduardo Escobar's performance probably uh, pushed that that up a little bit. But based on what you saw, and then obviously you mentioned last night against the Dodgers, looking ahead, what do you think Brett needs to do most to continue his growth and not end up back with you calling games as much as I'm sure you'd like to see it? That'd be a lot of fun, but if he is back here, I think we'll all be disappointed. Yeah. Hitting-wise, the, the one flaw in his game, the one thing he does remarkably well, that single he had last night, we're taping this on Tuesday, we're talking about the game Monday night in L.A. that the Mets won, he is remarkably good with two strikes. That two-strike single he had, that was very uh, apparent that he could do that here at the AAA level. I think all but one of his home runs, believe it or not, came on a two-strike count. So when he gets down 0-2-1-2, he's not faced. The one thing he does need to improve, uh, when they challenge him up in the zone with high 90s fastballs, that's when a lot of his strikeouts were coming. And obviously, when you get to the major league level, you are facing pitcher that is, God bless the people in AAA, is a little bit better consistently every single night, specifically with the way that they can locate fastballs up in the zone mid-90s. So that was the one flaw in Brett's offensive game. Um, but defensively, it's just continuing to get reps. I think he's pretty good right now defensively. Obviously, everything speeds up the major league level just a bit, you know, a little bit. And that's, again, what I would encourage Mets fans to keep in mind is, yeah, he'll make an error or two, but Brett is going to be just fine defensively. We saw it here in AAA. You were already seeing it at the major league level. Brett's going to be fine. Will there be growing pains? Yes. Any profession for a 23-year-old, are there growing pains? Yes. Give him a little bit of time. I think once we get to June, July, August, Brett will be totally fine defensively, and obviously the bat is going to carry, we all hope, from AAA to the bigs. Moving on to Francisco Alvarez, a little bit of a different pathway here. Not somebody the Mets had much interest uh, having up at this portion of the season. They go out in the offseason, they sign Omar Narvaez, they have Tomas Nito. They were pretty comfortable with both those guys until Narvaez gets the calf injury. And Alvarez gets the call up and, and Alvarez has not been playing every day for the big league club. It feels like at times uh, Nito has gotten the bulk of the playing time as well. It's been hard for Alvarez to get in a rhythm offensively while personally, I think he's looked pretty good defensively for all of the concerns we've heard about that as well. What did you get to see from Alvarez in a short time with Syracuse, not only behind the plate, but the kind of power that he possesses at the plate as well? The power we saw last year in Syracuse, I don't know if you guys remember the viral clip. He literally hit a home run out of the stadium in Lehigh Valley. The stat cast told it was it was 430. It was broken. It went at least 480 feet. It was ridiculous. One of the longest home runs I have ever seen live in person. It was stupid. The power is going to translate up there. The concern with Francisco then, still a little bit now, obviously is the defense. I told the story a lot this offseason. Well documented, there was a series in Worcester last summer where Francisco literally dropped three straight pitches right down the middle. So the defense was the question. What we saw early this year, the defense was pretty good, especially his throwing arm. Twice this year, Cody Wilson, a player for the Nationals AAA affiliate, and David Hamilton, a player for the Red Sox AAA affiliate. David Hamilton actually set the record last year for the most stolen bases by any player in the Red Sox minor league system ever. Francisco threw him out in the first series of the year, and he threw him out by like a full step and a half. He's got an excellent right arm. The thing that Francisco uh, will get better at and needs to get better at behind the plate is how he handles the game, how he frames pitches, how he's working with all of these pitchers. And frankly, it's difficult because as a 21-year-old, this staff you are handling at the major league level Aside from Jose Budo, who he's caught a bunch down here at the AAA level, Francisco's working with Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander and Senga and all of these guys who are more experienced. And God love them. They're not going to be as patient with the 21-year-old, right? Like Scherzer's not here to screw around. Max is here to work. He wants the right guy to work with. And Francisco, yes, it is still a bit of a, of a learning process. And I think that is why at the major league level, he's up there because they need him. They need a backup catcher. But he's playing every third or fourth day because I think Buck Showalter understands organizationally Francisco's not quite there yet. They candidly, if you gave true serum to everyone in the Mets and you gave true serum to us here in Syracuse, should Alvarez be here playing every day? Yeah. Has injuries necessitated that Francisco needs to be up there right now? Yeah. So again, I would say to Mets fans, 
Be patient. Francisco is getting better behind the plate. We have seen those adjustments and those defensive improvements already here in Syracuse. The bat is going to translate. Remember, he's 21. We've all heard about him for a while, like we've heard about all these international free agents because they sign him when they're teenagers. He's a full two years younger than Brett Beatty. You know, so he's much younger than Mark Vientos. He's younger than Ronnie Mauricio. So just give him time. He's going to be okay. This is more of a cup of coffee. I think we expect him back here in Syracuse probably early June, mid-June when Navarez does get healthy again, and you're going to start seeing the highlights and hopefully improvement from Francisco if he ends up being a, a more everyday part of the lineup late summer, you know, early fall when the Mets start making their pennant chase. The, def the defense has really stuck out to me because, like you said, I think Francisco Alvarez is going to hit. Hit. I know the early results haven't been great. He's been chasing fastballs up. The swing could get a little long at times. But this was a guy that, just like you said, this time last year, there was wonders of him catching the baseball, let alone grading out well as a pitch framer. He has the throwing arm. But one thing that I can say from my experience, we talked uh, to Francisco last year when he was with Double A. And we spoke to different coaches and people in the organization. One of the things really hyped up was his work ethic, how hard of a worker he is. Uh, can you talk about what you noticed in his time in Syracuse last year and, and now obviously in the early going this year? What stands out most about his work ethic and kind of the way he goes about baseball on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, not just the way Francisco's work ethic, but all of the big four studs we had here to yeah. start the year. Mauricio, Vientos, Alvarez, Beatty. Obviously, Francisco and Brett are up with the big club right now. They're all hard workers. They are all here early. They leave late. They've got, they've got their heads in the right place. And they all get along. The first batting practice we had here in Syracuse a couple of days before the season, they put on an impressive display. They're hitting home runs all over the yard, but they get along. Like they're, they're all friends. Mark is from Florida, so he's bilingual. You should have heard him and Ronnie at the cage the other day in Scranton giving each other grief when the wind was blowing in and Ronnie couldn't hit one out or Mark couldn't hit one out. Mark hit one to the right center field warning track in BP, couldn't hit it out. And Ronnie looks at him and goes, not today, Poppy, not today. So they're, they're all joking with each other the whole time. Francisco gets along with everybody really well, and he is a very hard worker. You can tell how hard he's worked defensively. The Mets hired J.P. Aaron Sebia, a very experienced guy in the major leagues, specifically here in AAA, to work with Francisco when he's here. And that improvement has already shown. So you see it in the cage, whether it's on the field. Unfortunately, early in the year, sometimes here in Syracuse, we have to take batting practice inside, not outside, because it's currently 45 and raining here today. Um, Francisco works incredibly hard, both behind the plate, at the plate, hitting wise. He's looking at the video. All these guys are doing all the right things. And you can see that throughout our clubhouse, whether it be the prospects, whether it be guys like Danny Mendick, who was a big member of the Chicago White Sox organization the last couple of years. He very easily could earn a call up at some point. This clubhouse has been littered with, with good players and good, you know, good people. And you can tell that is an organizational focus for the Mets, specifically at the AAA level, where you need to have a team full of guys who, when called upon, can go up there and get the job done for a short span of time or maybe a little bit longer. You brought up both Mauricio and Vientos. And, you know, obviously we've heard about the hype around Alvarez and Beatty as prospects for a long time. And, and absolutely with Mauricio and Vientos to an extent. Mets fans got to see Vientos for an extended period last year. But with these guys, I don't think it's a surprise that Vientos is, you know, hitting almost 350 in Syracuse. He's already got five home runs in what 14 or 15 games. That Vientos is going to crush AAA pitching, and it's just a matter of can he do that as probably a DH or maybe at best a corner outfielder at the next level. But with Mauricio here, Evan, I don't think anybody expected this kind of start in AAA. I think we expected a a process of seasoning a little bit, getting used to pitching at that level. And the most important thing with Mauricio that Joe always talks about is he has a huge handle on the minor league system is cutting down the strikeouts, pitch selection. I mean, this is an incredible start for Mauricio. What has led to that with, for him and the continued success for Vientos? Well, it's been much better pixel, pitch selection for Ronnie. You guys nailed it. Uh, we opened our first broadcast of the season in Worcester saying of all the great prospects we have, the most fascinating one is Ronnie Mauricio because you really do not know what you're going to get. Last year in Binghamton, the average was okay. 
The power numbers were good. He struck out way too much. And he struck out way too much because he did not have good pitch selection at the plate. His pitch selection so far this year has been excellent. And it's leading to he's getting himself in advantageous counts. And he is hitting as many home runs as anyone on this roster. You follow the Mets, you understand the situation. Obviously, there's a roadblock at shortstop. So then it becomes, okay, is Ronnie so darn good that we have to move him to a different position? For what it's worth, he has not played any other position aside from designated hitter than shortstop at the AAA level this year. Um, or does he become, I don't know, a valuable trade piece? And you want to go pick up someone at the deadline to improve your team offensively, on the mound, defensively, and you can – send Ronnie someplace else and, and get a decent haul back. It's been remarkable, honestly, to watch him this year. I thought Ronnie would be good. You could argue he's been the MVP of the Syracuse Mets this season, not just with the way he's played offensively. He's a darn good shortstop. He made a great diving defensive play to his left in Scranton over the weekend, strong arm. He's one of those guys who glides. There's, there's not too much, too much effort to it. It's just smooth. It's relaxed out there, both off the field, on the field. It's been great to watch, and, and the main point of why he's improved offensively is he's not chasing the bad pitches out of the zone that he did in Binghamton last year that led to way too many strikeouts. Cut him down this year, and right now, I, I, it's hard to argue there's a better hitter at the AAA level than Ronnie Mauricio right now. He's had such a roller coaster of a career. I mean, this is a guy that at one point peaked as a top 50 prospect in the sport, and now he's kind of fallen out of the top 100 list. And I think the way you described it is absolutely perfect and kind of what I've been saying over the last six months or so, which is I don't need Ronnie Mauricio to draw walks. He's not going to be Brandon Nemo. He's not going to get on base at a 370 clip, I guess, unless he hits 350, then he might. Uh, but he just needs to be more selective. So that way that power that he has really grown into can become – a true plus part of his game because if he's chasing everything he won't get anything to hit won't be able to tap into it but the defense is really where i want to focus like you said i think he's a fine shortstop he's not a shortstop here because of the existence of francisco lindor and it is my opinion that you should be developing ronnie mauricio as if he's going to be a part of the mets organization going forward and if a trade comes along that makes sense go ahead and do it i think you should hand the guy a left fielder's glove He's an athlete, like you said. He can glide. What's your takeaway? Is there any buzz of them considering him at other positions yet uh, down in Syracuse? Uh, and where do you think he might uh, transition best if he were to move off short with the Mets? So, no, there we have not heard anything about any plans to have him play left field. I'm looking at my scorebook from the other day. Carlos Cortez played left field. We've seen some Danny Mendick a lot in the corner outfield spots. Lorenzo Cedrola has played corner outfield spots. Obviously, for the long-term health of the organization, it would make sense to put Ronnie Mauricio at left field. But as we've heard it, there are no plans for him to play. Now, the lineup is about to change. Your everyday third baseman, Brett Beatty, may never come back. Um, so how does that affect things? Do they play Mark Vientos more at third? Mark has been playing a large chunk of the season at first base. Do you move him to third? Do you move Ronnie Mauricio to first? That doesn't make much sense. You don't have, you know, we'll see what happens with Pete Alonso. But as of now, there's no plans to have anyone else play first base for the New York Mets. So yes, it makes sense in theory to have him play left field. Um, we have not heard anything about that. And again, those decisions are made above my pay grade. So where Ronnie Mauricio plays, I will call the game, and I'll be very excited to do it because he's hitting the ball very well. Athletically, could he profile as a left fielder? Absolutely. He's a great athlete. He glides well out there. He covers ground very well, and he's certainly got a strong enough arm. But we have not heard any plans of that. We haven't seen him take any left field practice or any sorts of those things before the game. Now, will things change because Beatty's no longer here? Maybe. Maybe not. Still early in the year. Still kind of cold in this area of the country. So we'll see. But no plans of that as of now, to, to report to you. So we got to see a bit of Jose Buto the other day making a start. And, and honestly, a lot of improvements for Buto and, and can be the forgotten man at times when you have, you know, the Mets go into spring training and everybody thinks, oh, McGill and Peterson will be left off the rotation because there's too many arms and reality hits you fast. And both of them are in the rotation. And all of a sudden, a guy like Jose Buto becomes the next man up or in a case with a rotation with a guy like Kodai Senga that might need some rest or young pitchers that need some rest, a spot starter. So what were you able to see from Buto? Is he a guy that has enough long-term potential that maybe can be a number five down the road, or is he more of a depth arm going forward? 
I think certainly he can be a part of your organization. And that was proven to me in September last year at the AAA level. He was the International League Pitcher of the Month in September. He His second to last start of the year, his third and second to last starts of the year, he had one here against, uh, forgive me, I forget who it was, at MVT Bank Stadium. But he had another start at Worcester, the Red Sox AAA team, where in six innings, seven innings, seven scoreless innings, 12 strikeouts, 11 were swinging. And I left that start going, wait a minute. I think Jose Budo may be a future long-term option in the New York Mets starting rotation. His first start this year, he struggled. Candidly, it was 37 degrees at first pitch in Worcester. And it's tough to, it's tough to evaluate, guys, when it's that It's not cold. baseball weather. No, it's barely football weather at 37 yeah, degrees. seriously. It's baseball weather, right? Um, but his second start here was phenomenal. He had such a good start here that he was named the International League Player Pitcher of the Week. And I know the Oakland A's aren't exactly world beaters, but still, when you can go up and do that at the major league level on short notice, that's very impressive. I certainly think Jose's got that potential, specifically with the breaking stuff. The fastball's not going to wow you. It'll sit low to mid-90s. The breaking stuff for Jose is he continues to refine it and improvement. He certainly figured it out here in AAA, but as we all know, you go up to the major league level, the consistent approaches and ability to follow off those good breaking balls little bit different than it is consistently down here. So I definitely think Jose can do it because we have seen when he came up from double A Binghamton July of last year, he just got a little bit better every single start. And by the end of the year, no one could touch him down here. I think it will take trust, whether it be the Mets or a different organization to give Jose Budo some time to work out the Kings, figure things out. And, and, and like Francisco Alvarez, just got to let him, you know, pitch every fourth or fifth day, every sixth day and figure it out. But I, I certainly am a believer in Jose Budo because that breaking stuff keeps getting better. And that is what separates you at the next level when you don't have the high velocity heat because Jose will never have that. Last one for you, Evan. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, we obviously touched on all the top guys. We hit Beatty, Alvarez, Mauricio, and, e and even down to Jose Buto. But one thing that I want to ask about is, one of the things that changed the most throughout a season for a major league team is the bullpen. There's always guys going up and down. Looking at the Syracuse roster now, guys like Grant Hartwig, guys like Eric Orzi, who are some relievers that you're seeing that you think Met fans should keep an eye on as, you know, if someone goes on the IL or they just need to call up an extra arm, who in the Syracuse bullpen do you think could make an impact on the Mets this year? Two guys, one lefty, one righty. Uh, you mentioned one of them, the right-hander Grant Hartwig, who is an incredible story. Went to high school at Detroit Catholic Central in Metro Detroit. I hear very smart people graduate from that high school. Also went to uh, Miami, Ohio for college. Undrafted guy uh, out of college. It's been well documented. He was done with baseball. He was going to take the MCATs. He was done. His parents said, hey, Grant, they don't pay you a lot when you're an undrafted guy. So Grant will help you out. Go give it a shot. He was so good last year as an undrafted guy. He pitched in four different levels of the Mets minor league system. He ended with us in AAA last year. So far this year, he has not given up an earned run. And then from the left-hand side, left-handed pitcher out of the pen, Zach Muckenhern's been awesome. Has not given up an earned run yet. Sticky situation late in the game. Second half of a doubleheader at Scranton on Sunday. It was a three-run game, couple guys on base. Zach had to come into the game, gets the final out, ball game over. Uh, Zach and Grant have combined in eight relief appearances so far this year, 13 and two-thirds scoreless with 12 strikeouts. They have been awesome. Zach is more experienced, spent a lot of time in the Baltimore Orioles organization, so he's not going to be phased going up there. And I think whatever happens for Grant Hardwig and the rest of his professional career is really the cherry on top of the Sunday because he, he was done. He, he was going to go live a quote unquote normal life. And now all of a sudden with the way he's pitching, if he doesn't pitch for the New York Mets this year, I'm going to be stunned. So, you know, selfishly, you probably caught on to it. I went to the same high school as Grant. My brother's the same age. They were the two starting tight ends on the football team. So it's a little weird that the world is so small that you've got two guys from the same high school, you know, working for the AAA team for the New York Mets. Um, but he's a darn good pitcher. I'm not just saying that because I know him. Um, and Zach muckenhern has been really, really good too. And again, that goes back to what we were speaking about. We can talk about the great prospects all we want. That makes it exciting to come to the ballpark as a broadcaster. What keeps you coming back and staying excited is the organizational depth because they'll play well here, and then hopefully they'll go up to the Mets 
and help them, you know, win the National League, win the World Series in four or five months. Well, that's awesome to hear. And and for everybody that wants to watch more of these guys, not just Vientos and Mauricio's moonshot home runs. Uh, sorry to everybody. And sorry to you, Evan, that it's no longer Beatty and Alvarez for now. Make sure you follow the Syracuse Mets on Twitter so you can see all those highlights. And follow Evan on Twitter, at EV Stockton. Evan, it's been great talking to you. Honestly, great information. It sounds like you've gotten to watch a really, really exciting season uh, at Syracuse for all the Mets organizational talent. So we're looking forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Go Mets. Thanks for the time. All right, great stuff from Evan Joe. Great to hear about the former Syracuse Mets, which we are very happy that we could say that about Brett Beatty right now. And the current Syracuse Mets is Ronnie Mauricio and Mark Vientos have their continued success at the AAA level. But let's stay down on the farm and check in a little further down the system with the Brooklyn Cyclones and talk about a new name that we've never mentioned on this show. Outfielder Stanley Consuegra was named the South Atlantic League Player of the Week. He hit 375, three home runs, 10 RBIs just in the week. Joe, I have heard you talk about a lot of prospects with this organization over the years. I have not heard you bring up the name Stanley Consuegra. So is this a flash in the pan? Is this a real prospect? Give me the breakdown here. If my prospect list was expanded to 30, he would have probably been on it. So he's right in the, for me, mid-20s or so uh, within the Mets system. Power has been the name of his game uh, throughout his career. He consistently can get good exit velocities. You'll see upwards of 108, 110 miles an hour. Uh, he can really hit the ball a mile his overall offensive profile really needs to come into shape. He needs to make more consistent contact. He needs to be uh, better with his pitch selection. So there, there's a lot to put together, but he that one tool that Stanley Consuegra has is power, and it's one of the better power bats probably in this system. Uh, so hopefully as we as we continue on this season, we see him really take his game into shape. And you know maybe in a mid-season update, he can find his way into that top 20 or so. Uh, in in the Mets system. So definitely a guy to keep an eye on. A couple other guys down in Brooklyn to talk about Kevin Parada, the Mets uh, 2022 first round pick. He's been perfectly fine offensively, uh, 250 average, uh, about 450 on base, has a really long home run. Defense has been a struggle for Parada. And if you remember back when we were talking about the draft last summer and uh, after the Mets drafted Parada, there was questions about his defense behind the plate. I even had a scout last summer tell me that he might be a left fielder going forward. And right now in the early going, and we know this is not always all on the catcher, but he has three pass balls. And the real problem has been throwing out runners. He has two guys caught stealing out of 23. He's throwing out runners at a 9% rate. So that is a uh, a bit of a problem that he needs to work on. And there was one game uh, early in the season that he allowed nine stolen bases in one game. So uh, he, he's having a bit of a tough time early on defensively. Uh, so we'll see how he develops there over the coming months. And second rounder, Blade Tidwell, after his first start, struggled with control a little bit. Came out, had an abbreviated outing by design by the Mets. They also did this with Mike Vassell. He threw two perfect innings, struck out four guys, up to 98, wipeout slider. So Blade Tidwell is definitely the most exciting arm in the Mets system right now. All right, that's it for the farm system. The Cyclones are home this week, playing the Wilmington Blue Rocks. That's the Nationals affiliate. Tickets are just $9 Tuesday through Thursday. Kids eat free on Wednesday. Friday night is a drinks on us offer a ticket plus two 24 ounce beers or bottled sodas for just 20 bucks for tickets and details. Visit brooklyncyclones.com. Joe, I think this is the longest we've gotten into the Mets pod without talking about the big league club. Like I'm sure there are people listening right now and are like the Mets have won five in a row. They swept in Oakland. They had a great uh, game one win against the Dodgers. So obviously, we're going to dedicate plenty of time to that. So let's get into the week that was. Like we said, they got their first sweep of the season against the A's, who, my goodness, the pitch clock can fix some things, Joe. When there are a million walks in a game, nothing can fix the timing of a baseball game uh, when that's going on. So what stood out to you, really, though, with this Mets team? Because the wins are a win, right? There's no – I don't want to hear any of this, oh, they beat Oakland, who cares? Well, yeah, they also – 
knocked around Dustin May in game one against the Dodgers as well. So it feels like some kind of light has turned on with the Mets after, I don't want to say they slept walk to start the season, but it didn't feel like the Mets that we know and love this team over the last couple of days really has. The Oakland A's are a tough watch. That's that's my biggest takeaway. That yeah, is, I mean, that's it. I, I, yeah, I, I'll tell you, I know a lot of players because I cover the draft. I cover international free agency. There were quite a few players in that Oakland roster that I had never heard of in my entire life. So uh, tough watch. And like you said, they won. They did what they had to do. They took care of business. Was it perfect? No. Would you have liked to have blown Oakland out all three days? Sure. But they came back from a deficit late, which I think is something that was in the DNA of this team last year while they yes. were going really well. Even if they were down late, it didn't matter if it's good team, bad team, means nothing. They came back, so they're able to come back and uh, solidify that sweep in Oakland. So to me, you know, it's 8-2 and two in their last 10 as we record here on Tuesday. They're playing much better ball, and they're hitting the ball too. I mean, in a general sense, Pete Alonso basically can't get him out. Francisco Lindor has turned it on. Brandon Nimmo's been fantastic. So the offense is starting to take shape. And I think we're distancing us ourselves a little bit from the Milwaukee series, which is, I think, where really things kind of hit rock bottom, so to speak, for this offense. And I think guys are starting to get more comfortable, get into form. And then, like you said, the first game of the Dodgers series, I saw about three innings of it, which was pretty good for me. Uh, it was like I... Uh, like I didn't have cable or something. I didn't know what was going on. I woke up the next morning and checked check the box score just instead of the newspaper. I used an iPhone to check. And, you know, good win, good comeback win. I watched the highlights, so I saw that they battled back from some leads. And uh, Brandon Nemo with another fantastic defensive play. I checked uh, a couple days ago. He was in the 71st, 71st percentile outs above average, which is a defensive metric on baseball savant. I checked again Tuesday morning after the Oakland series, after the Dodgers game where he made the great play in the gap. He is now in the 91st percentile in outs above average. So shows what a, a couple days and a couple really great plays can do. Yeah, three great plays for Nimmo over the last couple of days. And this early in the season, I'm not surprised to see him move up that high hit we're going to talk a little bit about Nimmo in just a bit but what he's been able to transform himself into is remarkable and when you just look at the Mets right now like you said we what did we talk about after the Milwaukee series or at least one of the things one of the things was when Lindor and Pete the stars of this lineup aren't hitting things are going to look grim but when they are, they are two of the most impactful offensive players in the entire National League and what do you need to say about Pete Alonzo right now with the home run rate? Uh, the timing of Pete's home runs too, though. Like that's what sticks out to me is that Pete is the type of guy that can always get you back in the game, extend a game, give you a chance. Same with Lindor, what he's able to do just in terms of driving in runs and driving the ball as well. So the Mets back on track and boy, did they need that. And when they start to get healthy, when Verlander's back, obviously way down the stretch, Narvaez. Um, you'll feel really, really good about this team. And we're going to talk more about the big league club in just one moment. Before we do, a reminder, you're listening to the Mets pod presented by Tri-State Cadillac. Subscribe to the Mets pod at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Of course, you can watch on SMY's YouTube channel or wherever you get your shows. We're going to take a quick 15-second break and be right back with our rotation review. And, of course, answer your mailbag questions. This spring, be transformed. During the Cadillac Move Up sales event, this is your moment to step out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary. Visit your Cadillac showroom today. Welcome back. We're going to get into the rotation, do a little rotation review this week, something that we will do on and off throughout the season, I think, Joe, especially this early in the year where the Mets rotation, as it always does this time of year, it feels like, or it happens quickly, has questions, whether it's the uh turnaround or his best start of the year for Scherzer but of course now dealing with some soreness Senga in an odd game we saw just didn't look comfortable and then we'll get into the back end of the rotation as well so Joe let's start with the two guys that I think uh have the most star power in this rotation as Verlander is out right now we'll stick with Scherzer soreness aside and being pushed back a couple of days it felt like in those five scoreless innings we saw Max start to find it a little bit again 
Max started to look a little more like Max, and uh, the soreness definitely gave me. I had some PTSD because he was like, "Oh, to my scapula area," and that just brought me back to Jacob Degrom, and I was like, "Oh, how many times favorite word scapula? How many times have we heard over the last couple years? Oh, just push back a couple days, and then lo and behold, it ends up an IL stint, and then maybe an extended IL stint." But it sounds as if everything's good. Max threw, and he is apparently still slated to pitch on Wednesday. So all things considered, it worked out fine. They were going to put an extra starter in, like Jose Buto, who started uh, the Sunday game in Oakland. I think the intention was for him to start the Wednesday game against the Dodgers. Instead, you're just flipping him in Scherzer. So no harm, no foul. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing what Max looks like coming off the couple extra days. And, uh, you know, let's see if he could get that pitch count up into the 90s and make sure this stuff kind of still looks the way it was. Absolutely. And you, you look at Senga, he was 2-0 and coming into his third start. He, he really hadn't felt like he hadn't been touched since that first inning in Miami where he was just a little bit uncomfortable. And this game against Oakland, four earned runs in four and two-thirds innings. He did strike out seven. He's still having hitters guessing, missing, chasing the ghost, using the fastball a little bit more. But not only did the home run ball get him in this one, Joe, these long innings, I'm not making excuses for a guy, but you're talking about the transition he's already dealing with on American soil over here. That was an odd game. The Mets win that game 17 to six. It felt like the Mets were either getting runs walked in every other inning or hitting home runs or hitting doubles. And the innings just went so long for that one that Senga truly couldn't get comfortable and in any kind of rhythm on the mound to get to that five-inning mark for his third win of the season. It has felt like throughout the year, Senga's had the weirdest timing of innings. Like the first start that he had in Miami, how long he was jumping around in the dugout just waiting to get out on the mound. And then obviously the the Oakland series, like how can you possibly have a rhythm when they're walking 17 guys? And the innings are lasting as long as they are. So it's tough to be in a rhythm. But the positive side of it was he is still missing bats. Like you said, Connor, he's still getting people guessing at the ghost fork. He's showing a little more effectiveness with his fastball upstairs. Gave up the the long ball, which it's going to happen. He's not going to uh, obviously dominate every time out. But I think the the rhythm of the game got to him maybe a little bit this time out in Oakland. And you saw him obviously build up his pitch count and have to come out earlier than, than you would like. But overall, I'm still feeling perfectly fine about where Kodai Senga is at. And uh, yeah, I look forward to his next start and see what other crazy things can ensue. That'll force him to wait like a half hour between innings. Looking at the rest of the rotation, obviously McGill is three and zero. he's given them everything you could hope for as a back end fill in starter. And, we know he closed out um, the rubber game for the Mets to take on the San Diego series, but moving to Carrasco and Peterson, who have obviously pitched more recently, it feels like right now, Joe, both of these guys just haven't settled into the year at all. With Peterson for me, and we did have Carrasco's best start, but it just it's starting to feel like a struggle with Carrasco. He's throwing a lot of pitches. He has not worked into the sixth inning of any game this season. Um, sure, he he did, you know get on track a little bit against Oakland, but it didn't even feel like a great start. He doesn't have that swing and miss stuff. And then when you look at Peterson with the start against the Dodgers, it's about location for Peterson. Oddly enough, considering how much he struggled, at least with the stuff that I see with Peterson, I have a little bit more hope for him long-term than Carrasco becoming Carrasco again. Where do you stand with these two? Because the reality is right now, Joe, with Peterson and Carrasco, it is going to come down to them when the return of Justin Verlander is here. And I don't think we're that far away from that return. You could look at one of them needing to factor into this rotation because Quintana's very, very far away. But Verlander is going to be back, and Verlander is going to be at the top of this rotation. And Carrasco and Peterson, unfortunately, have not been effective throughout this year. Carrasco stuff is definitely a bit of a problem. I mean, the velocity is still not the way it was last year. Uh, so now the disparity between his fastball and his changeup isn't a big enough gap. So the changeup kind of just looks like a slow fastball to hitters at this point. And that's why you're not seeing the same swing and miss rates. He kind of battled through in Oakland and got through uh, five innings, give a couple runs. It felt uh, uglier but, than it looks in the yeah, box score. Now that I brought back exactly. a box score, I'm like, I watched that game and did not feel like that was a good Carrasco start. Yeah, it, 
it's it doesn't seem like we have those good starts to come. Hopefully it's something that he's going to get more adjusted to this pitch clock and the weather will warm up and maybe we'll see a little bit better from Carrasco. Uh, Peterson's inconsistency, I think, is is proving to be a bit of an issue in the early going. And when Justin Verlander returns, which if things kind of stay the way they are and it keep going according to plan, that could be, you know, maybe a little more than a week away. So we're even if it's not next week, it's the week after we're getting to the point where we're getting closer and closer to Justin Verlander joining this rotation. And I have to imagine at that time, unless David Peterson shows some real unique stuff over these couple starts between now and Verlander's return, they're going to utilize the minor league option on Peterson before they try to shift Carrasco to the bullpen and even make him potentially even more uncomfortable. I think they end up giving Carrasco maybe a little more leash despite the greater upside with Peterson. I think you'd see them uh, potentially utilize the minor league option and, you know, send him to triple A, see if he could get that confidence back, get that consistency. And then when the time comes that you need him, which you will, he'll be back. That's our rotation review for the week. We will keep that going somewhat consistently because when there's a lot of movement on this rotation, Verlander's return, monitoring Scherzer's health, of course. And if the guys on the back end can kind of figure this out, but we will close out our show answering your mailbag questions. And the first one I want to get into, Joe, I hinted at earlier in the show. This is from Mikey, who said, being glad the Mets re-signed Nimmo is the understatement of the year. The guy has single-handedly won multiple games for this team already. Can you guys comment on how you think he went from being a good player to now an all-around stud? He's made so much growth defensively. I think on the offensive side of the ball, he's kind of being the Brandon Nimmo pre 2022. So interestingly enough, he got paid off a down year by his measures offensively. And I think you're seeing him just kind of be, become what he was offensively. And he has turned himself from a guy that I didn't want to see in center field. I called him a left fielder because he doesn't have any arm for right. I was like, Brandon was just a left fielder and that's fine. Put him there, set it, forget it. Don't worry about it. But he has worked on his sprint speed. He's worked on his angles, his routes. The Mets position him well, which I think is a help. But this is a guy that, uh, like I said uh, earlier on, he's up in the 91st percentile right now uh, as of this recording here on Tuesday in outs above average. So this is a guy that not only has developed into a center fielder, he has developed into a significantly above average center fielder, borderline great. And he's part of this movement with the Mets that, I love, I have prayed for a Mets team like this for a long time. They steal bases. They dry pitchers crazy. They're aggressive on the base bats. I don't know if it's because growing up and, you know, when I was in uh, middle school and then high school, watching Jose Reyes just completely alter a game on the base bats, if it's been ingrained in me to love that kind of baseball team. But this Mets team right now, Marte, seven steals. LeCastro, who's now on a 10-day IL stamp, he's got four steals. Nimmo had three last year, Joe. He's got three already this year. He's going to shatter what he normally does on the Bates Bats. He could be an effective base stealer. Lindor chipping in two, Pham chipping in two, and then uh, McNeil and Canna each have one. So the Mets are running, and Nimmo's a part of that. The Mets are, you know... While they're a veteran team, they do have athleticism with this team, whether it's Nimmo, Marte, Lindor, and obviously LeCastro when he is back as well. And as the Mets continue to get younger, that's a trend that will be exciting uh, for us to watch along the way. All right, our next mailbag question, sticking, uh, going back with the kids here. It's how we opened up the show. This is from Steve Wood. Steve asked, I wonder if the Mets have thought about moving Mauricio to second base right now to set up a promotion in a month with McNeil shifting to left field. We need to find room for another productive bat in the everyday lineup. So, Joe, I'll let you probably settle down the masses here. If Ronnie Mauricio is up before the All-Star break this year, he has shattered any expectations I had for him in terms of timelines. And right now, offensively, he is already doing that. So I understand the thought process here. I don't know if my expectations are for Mauricio to be here by the All-Star break, but... To Steve's point that I really, really like, which is forward thinking, I think if you're going to make the move, and I don't know enough about Mauricio's defense at second base, how that'll translate, but 
Canna has not been great so far. You're always going to play McNeil. McNeil is quietly very good in the corner outfield spots. That would be the pathway for me. If you're trying to get more power into the lineup, Mauricio at second, McNeil in left, Canna more in a backup sort of role. I, I like the thought process here. I don't know if the timeline, and you tell us, Joe, I don't know if the timeline makes any sense, but I like the long-term outlook here. Well, like Evan told us at the at the top of the show, the Mets haven't discussed playing him anywhere other than shortstop as of yet. So they better start uh, soon. By the way, they should have started last year. I, mean, I agree uh, with you, man. I, I, I've been I've been saying it for a while. Once you get up to this level, you need to be figuring out the future home. Uh, if he is a second baseman, he will be like the biggest second baseman in like, baseball Cruz history. The O'Neill Cruz of second baseman. Yeah, the O'Neill <laughs> Cruz of second baseman. I, I I can't imagine that he would be incapable of handling it but i think you're if you're going to maximize his athleticism i think it's in left field you give him the bigger glove he's got uh like uh like evan said earlier in the show he can just glide he's that kind of athlete he's got a strong throwing arm and mcneil if we're being honest he's he's good everywhere you could play him in left right second he'd be fine at third if you put him there but he was a borderline gold glove second baseman last year. I believe he was uh, five outs above average, which was second or third in the NL in um, in that stat. So I think McNeil's best at second base, and I think Mauricio projects really well to the outfield. I like the thought. I like Mauricio more in the outfield. And as far as timeline, I can't see that being anything close to imminent. And I know there's excitement because – Alvarez is here and Beatty's here. And everyone's just like, give me all the kids. We want Vientos. We want Mauricio. Bring them all to me. Uh, but I, I do think more so than the other three that were in the AAA lineup, Mauricio is the one that genuinely needs the AAA time. And he's doing great, but he's eventually going to hit a funk. And what it'll come down to is how does he perform out of that funk? And if he doesn't and he hits 350, then at some point uh, something's going to have to give. Yeah, yes, exactly. You brought up something uh, that is not mailbag inspired. It just came to the top of mind for me. Bringing up McNeil, how great of a second baseman he is and maybe doesn't get the recognition for it on a consistent basis. How about the defense Francisco Lindor is playing since the ban of the shift? I, I mean, I knew Lindor was a great shortstop. And the second he got here, you could see it with the arm. You could see it with the glove. The freedom of him without the shift Joe, I mean, he's unbelievable, like truly unbelievable out there in the field, the plays he's been able to make with the kind of range that he could show off. Yeah, now he's showing off the range. And you now know last year when he was talking about hating the shift, we now understand why, because now he's, right. he's, he's really getting to showcase every bit of his defensive skill set. I was awake for the play where he got the ball that was like way above his head off the bounce and made the throw like. That was fantastic. Lindor should have won the gold glove in 2022. He did not. And I'd be surprised at this point if we're not talking about Francisco Lindor as the gold glove winner in the National League for 2023. He looks he looks every bit as good as any shortstop I have seen for the Mets since going back to even Ray Ordonez. Like I, I like yeah. what Lindor's doing just every bit as much as Reyes and maybe not quite Rayo, but uh Rayo also couldn't hit like Lindor can. Yeah, a little bit of a difference there. So he, he's got the true vacuum glove in the range, and it's been exciting to watch. Our last question from our mailbag for today is from Adam. Adam said, why does it feel like Buck is so hesitant to utilize Alvarez and give him more at-bats? That's a good question. I'd love to ask Buck that question. Uh, he wouldn't I answer, do, though, yeah. so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to inject him with that truth serum that uh, Evan talked about before. Uh, I, I think it's uh, the reality is they Francisco Alvarez should, in theory, be in AAA, and they don't think he is ready to take on the load of catching the veteran pitchers. With that said, if he's going to be here, you're going to have to suck it up and play the guy. Because the reality is this has the potential to stunt his growth. Yes. And that's the absolute last thing you need to do. Because I do believe the Mets like Francisco Alvarez as a catcher. They believe he is their long-term answer at catcher. And yes, the injury to Omar Narvaez prompted them to bring him up uh, prior to when they wanted to. But he's got to be in the lineup routinely. It, I, I said it, I believe, on last week's show. 
he should be playing three out of every five days. You know, catchers don't play every single game, but he can't be treated as if he is Tomas Nito's backup for two months, three months, however long it takes, you know, for Omar Narvaez to actually get back because he's out for two months, but then he has to do a rehab assignment and he has to work his way back. So it could be more two and a half. And you can't take a kid that's 21 years old that has the potential that Alvarez does and call him the backup catcher for a couple months. I think that has a potential negative ramifications that the Mets need to be careful that they don't uh, set this young guy up for lack of success. And yeah, that goes back to last year too, not to, not to, you know, go too long here. He got called up with six games left. They needed to win games like must win in Atlanta. And just like, here you go, kid, guess what? You're DHing now. And uh, we need you to hit on the spur of the moment after he had missed some time with an injury. So, the handling of, of Francisco Alvarez, I think, has been uh, a little questionable by the Mets over the last six, seven months. I'm with you all the way. And what I noticed with Alvarez is because of the lack of consistent role, he almost tries to overcompensate with the little action he has. That I, yeah. I've watched enough Alvarez in the minors to know is he an aggressive hit power hitter? Yes. Is he this guy chasing these kinds of pitches or hacking at the first? He has not been that kind of guy. And he comes up to the majors and he goes, well, I need to hit a home run or a double here because I want to play more. And that has a really bad negative effect, inverse effect there. So I'm with you, Joe. Like we don't, we don't often play manager on this show. We always joke around that Buck has, you know, forgotten more about baseball than we'll ever know. And that's the reality. And the Mets have resources in their analytics and staffing departments that we can't even dream of. But when you do look at just young player development, sometimes keeping the training wheels on for too long um, in a situation where there's no choice can definitely negatively affect the player. So it'll be interesting to watch Alvarez and if he can get on track, especially if he gets more playing time. So going forward now, the Mets continue their West Coast swing. They have to close out the series with the Dodgers, of course, and then they will go not too far and see old friends with the San Francisco Giants. That lineup is just littered with ex-Mets. I know Conforto has been a little banged up over the last couple of days, but there are plenty of ex-Mets. And then the next time we talk to you, of course, the Mets will be uh, back with their division foes. They'll be playing the Nationals and then followed by the Braves. So a lot of exciting stuff coming up for this early Mets season. And of course, this is the Mets pod presented by Tri-State Cadillac. This spring, be transformed during the Cadillac move up sales event this is your moment to step out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary visit your tri-state cadillac dealer today and a reminder to subscribe to the mets pod at apple Podcasts, spotify smy's youtube channel or wherever you get your shows thanks so much everybody catch you next week